Hello and welcome to Podcast Maximus, the podcast that is not French. We just like the accent. Uh, this is going to be a very special episode. Tom and Mario Dart here today. They're on a special mission in deep space. But joining me is a YouTuber, podcaster, live tweeter, and Masterpiece Megatron's official representative on Earth, an all-round general dude, Becca. Hello. Well, what's it like being Megatron's representative on Earth? <laughs> uh, you've got to get really good at dodgeball because, like, you have to be good at dodging things that are thrown at you almost repeatedly. Um, I've had to nail everything in the flat down, like the desk is nailed to the floor. Well, I already had that nailed to the floor because I also own a Prowl, but, you know, like, my computer mouse is nailed to the table. It's just basically a trackpad now. Um... And yet every day, new things just seem to get thrown in my general direction. So, you know, it's good. It's it's better than working retail. <laughs> oh, thanks for that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant that in a, like, retail at this time of year, because, you know, Black Friday, Christmas, people forgetting basic manners. It's all good fun. It's all good fun. Well, uh, speaking of chaos, uh, today's episode, we are taking a bit of a break from our usual comic-based format to talk about the last Transformers film. Uh, the last night, and I suppose a, a general place to start is uh, by asking you, what do you think of the uh, the films generally? Are you gay for Bay or are you dismayed <laughs> at uh, the idea of a fifth one? Ah, I have such a love-hate relationship with the films because if it weren't for the films, I wouldn't be a Transformers fan. Um, so I do owe them a lot of gratitude. It's like... It's like the first Doctor you see in Doctor Who. They might not be your favourite, but they'll always be your first. So the 2007 film will always be my first Transformers film I saw on DVD and Revenge of the Fallen will be the first one I saw at the cinema. So there's a part of me that just cannot bring myself to completely despise them. I, I feel like I should because other films like this I just don't like. I, I'm not a great one for... Not nonsensical films, because they can be fun. You know, films like Plan 9 from Outer Space can be amazing to watch, and The Room, and things like that. Films like Michael Bay's that are so overproduced that the ridiculousness even feels forced, I should just outright hate, but I just can't. I, I just can't. I've tried. I even tried with The Last Night. I've seen it three times in the last two weeks now, which I should legally be dead, you know. And I just cannot bring myself to dislike it, however much I try. It's just well, not happening. Uh, the final twist is going to be that you actually are dead. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, but I mean, we have the end of a podcast and you'll just vanish. And then someone will say, oh, Becca, she died two weeks ago. <laughs> do, 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 do. Killed by Michael Bay. <laughs> uh, myself. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm much older and more wretched than your youthful self. Uh, oh, it wasn't my first exposure to Transformers, but I did really love the first one. I think the first one still stands up as a fantastic, big, silly action film. And I think it's Definitely. much more influential. Because you have to remember, that was before Iron Man as well. That was before the Marvel films took off. And I think a lot of the stuff it does, mainly because, admittedly, because of technology and got there, I think, rather than because they were auteurs making it but a lot of the things that film does have been adopted very much by all the superhero films since 
It's also the uh, most straightforward. They really hit on a winning success with the 2007 film because it was just Space MacGuffin, bad guy. That was it. It was race to get the MacGuffin. They've then, in each subsequent film, just made the plot more and more complicated until we get The Last Night, which is like basically three different films in one. And it's so hard to understand what's going on. You can't even enjoy the silliness very much. Yeah, I mean, actually, I mean, if, uh, if every one, they put more and more stuff in that the fans wanted. Yes, yeah, it's like Quintessa and Unicron and yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Age of Extinction, yeah, I think, I think Age of Extinction is probably the worst one and I think a lot of the mistakes it made were both really obvious ones in terms of its pacing and being five different films yes. and they've sort of repeated all those same mistakes with this one again as if they've not actually learned anything from a previous film, which is a, which is a shame. Uh, it also seems like it deserved to take a bit of a hit of the box office for their uh, perhaps slight hubris in thinking they could uh, not bother to learn anything. It's, but... Yeah, and it's it's so odd how they seem to be trying to create this cinematic universe. I mean, in The Last Night, you have direct references to Revenge of the Fallen and Dark of the Moon. You see, you know, the, the Autobot ship on the moon and you see that the pyramids have been destroyed. So it's like they're saying, yeah, look, the previous films happened, but also it's just completely out of continuity and none of the films have anything to do with each other. I mean, let's face it, Transformers G1 wasn't great on continuity, but that's because they were toy commercials that just had to advertise a product and so the lack of continuity makes sense but when you've got someone who seems to be trying to make films that have something to do with each other but then completely contradict one another almost right from the start it, as a fan trying you know trying to be a fan of them you're like okay so hang on what is actually continuity was was sam witwicky ever a character in these new films yeah there's a photo of him in the latest one but Bumblebee doesn't seem to remember he exists and now Optimus Prime thinks that Mark Wahlberg is his best friend even though that was only established for like 20 minutes in the last one it, it, what? <laughs> yeah it's uh, the Wikians thing is just it's, I have a friend who absolutely uh, hates all that secret history stuff being grafted onto it but it's like oh they're, they're named after the Wikis and Whitwicky yeah. set up this secret society and didn't mention it in the three films they were in. Like, was was old um, W. Morgan Shepard a member after he found... Did he go looking for Megatron in that ice flow? Or yeah, who, how what's come, going like, on? How come no one knew that Transformers were a thing, even though Bumblebee apparently fought in World War Two with the US Army? And killed Hitler, maybe. I no, it was a watch. Yeah, it was a watch that killed Hitler. I mean, not, uh, not in a not in a secret way either. I mean, they have no. a recruiting page, so we Bumblebee on it. <laughs> yeah, Americans were getting people to sign up off the back of Bumblebee. Yeah, and suddenly, it, yeah, it it ah. Oh, the more you try and think about it, like you watch the film the first time and you think, okay, I've got a grip on what's happening. You watch it again and your grip just starts slipping off because you notice more and more things that just don't make sense in the film's own continuity, let alone the other films attached to it. And it's just, it's a shame because all of the elements they had in that film, I would have been so interested in seeing. I mean, you know, the element of um, the TRF hunting down Transformers, that is something that has been done in the IDW comics. And if they'd just taken that one element and made a film, it would have worked. If they'd just taken the one element of giant robots helping Camelot, that would have been a great film. If they'd just done an element of Sir Anthony Hopkins running a Transformers retirement home, that would have made a good film. And they're all really good ideas. 
that when you smash them together become really bad ideas because they're so badly fleshed out and badly implemented because they don't gel with one another. Uh, so I suppose that's, we should try and uh, break it down mm. into simple component parts. So like the filmmakers, we'll try and keep it simple. Uh, or the key officer for Psaas, uh, that sort of extended... Uh, Mm. Uh, sequence i quite enjoyed that i mean it's quite nice that they just shamelessly remade uh Con- connecticut no what's it uh, a decepticon raider yes in king, king arthur's, arthur's court. court yes even though king arthur wasn't actually in that episode interesting yeah i mean i i would have happily sat and watched a film about that about you know the struggle of the arthurian knights against their enemies and you know an alien ship crashes and merlin trying to understand these otherworldly creatures and technology being mistaken for magic that would have all been fantastic and i honestly think the way the opening was shot um the fight scene the knights themselves as in the the transformers knights brilliantly designed for the moment you know the, the bits that are actually on screen and you can see them they do have really beautiful designs um the one in the crashed ship when it skips forward later he has an absolutely gorgeous design i'd have loved to have seen more of um that all could have worked so well i mean i've i've recently seen guy ritchie's king arthur and i really loved that as well so yes, i saw i saw that on twitter you were the person who liked that i did i thought it was brilliant it was just good fun but it also had like a, a good emotional core to it i mean hell i would love to see guy ritchie do a transformers film he's got that kind of unique directorial style that could really adapt and work with it without making it stupid stupid uh, what, what I really like about the opening is that it sort of does this thing. Obviously, all the films have these historical flashbacks in. That's effectively part of the, uh, the formula. They sit quite rigidly to it. Oh, Transformers, mm. we were on a boat uh, in the Arctic. And then we were at the pyramids. And then uh, <laughs> we were on the moon. And then we made the dinosaurs go extinct. So we're everywhere. <laughs> It sort of turns out this film is in all... For this film, was like loads of historical flashbacks in it as well. It's like, I can't just have a one. But uh, what I like to watch... The IDW comics have tried to do this a few times. I've this sort of uh, this Elseworlds thing where it's like, oh, what if the Transformers woke up in different time periods? Mm-hmm. And how they do it is just basically, well, they turn into different vehicles. That's yes. basically the difference. So that's that is sort of exactly the same normal Transformers story about this one as well what if they were in the, the King Arthur period mm. and has a lot more fun with it and uh, actually plays with the idea of the mythology and it's not just well they dictate Optimus Prime turns into a cart or whatever yeah, or, or they have their Cybertronian alt modes intact and then you know at the end of the film they could skip forward 2000 years and show one of them turning into like a normal Earth vehicle and I think as well you would skip a lot of that um the sci-fi trope of aliens are here we must understand them with science because the knights in arthur's kingdom would probably just accept them as angels or even aliens because they don't have you know the scientific backing of it it would have been really fun to have a film where the aliens arrive and merlin's just like okay uh, whatever this isn't the weirdest thing that's ever happened in my life you know this is fine we'll just yeah come fight with us and i think that would be really cool Um, Because the one thing the Bay films are missing is a sense of awe and wonder with regards to the Transformers themselves, even in the first one, which is, you know, I think objectively the best one. Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and Ratchet and Jazz are all introduced to the humans and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, who cares? Let's just go blow stuff up. And that, for me, is where you get the disconnect between the human characters and the alien characters because, you know, if, if my car suddenly turned into Bumblebee, I'd be like... 
holy shit, what do you eat? Where are you from? What does the sky look like on your planet? Do you have television? Back when you were like a functioning society, did you have books? Who wrote the books? How did you write them? I'd have so many questions. And I think if you did it in that historical time frame, you could have characters asking questions like that. You know, like, do you live in castles? What are your castles like? Our castles are like this. Do you have moats? Are they made of molten metal? You know, and that would be quite fun. It's almost putting them down on modern day Earth is almost wasting them because modern day Earth is so obsessed with just like science and getting on with things. Just like slowing it down a bit would have been amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like to... I'm not sure how you pronounce his surname. I'm probably going to do this wrong. Sadly, Tucci, Tucci. I always say Tucci, but I'm not sure if Tucci. that's right. So I apologise to him if he's listening to this. Yeah, if I was, if we sat at home going, "Damn you both!" <laughs> uh, but I, I thought he was quite fun as Merlin. I'm, I'm not sure why they brought him back as a different character. I don't know if he was. He had a, like a two-film deal. I they just decided to use him anyway, even if they. They didn't bring whoever he was in the last one back. Which maybe, uh, maybe the character in the last film was one of his descendants who got killed off, which is why they they focused on Vivian. I, I don't know. I mean, he was great in the role, and I I quite happily sat and watched a whole film of drunk Merlin and the the knights. But yeah, it almost seems like a wasted opportunity. <laughs> Because as we all think about the last one, it's like he was somewhere going. Oh, don't worry, Mark Wahlberg. I'll sort out all your problems. Mm. <laughs> nope, he's gone. Yep, there he goes. Bye bye. Uh, which brings us into the, the modern day part of the film. So, sort of, as, as you said, it's on like three different films, and mm. the first, I think it's forty minutes or so. Ah, oh, this business in America, but doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the film. No, it really does. The whole TRF thing has nothing to do with the rest of the film, and you could cut it out and just cleverly edit it so it's the U.S. government following Megatron, and you would have no difference. They don't draw any conclusions to it even though it's clearly trying to be like a district nine sort of thing you know with no go zones with the transformers in it's it's so odd because you sat there in the cinema watching it for the first time i was like okay they're actually trying to do something now with the relationship between the autobots and humans you know they're finally showing us getting fed up with them constantly blowing up our cities to pursue their own agenda but then just nothing happens with it you don't Nothing. I mean, Santiago Cabrera's character, I can't even remember his name, but he's the one who's like, I hate the Autobots because they're just like the Decepticons. You get a moment at the end of the film where he rips off his TRF badge because he's decided, yes, they're the good guys. But it's so blink and you miss it. It's not even the completion of a character arc. You you just think, uh, okay, why is he doing that? I've, I don't even know who he is. Who is he? Has he been in the uh, film before? I can't remember. Uh, he hasn't, no, but uh, Santiago played Santos. Uh, of course, Santiago, Santos. Uh, of they course. put a lot of thought. I mean, as, as I was saying to you before we started recording, Isabella was played by Isabella. Isabella. Mm, Santiago yeah. was played by Santos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Peter Prime was, of course, played by Peter Cullernis. Yeah. Michaela Baines, Michael Bay. You know. Oh, I'd love to know if that was really deliberate, that one, though. I'm so sure it was. I'm so sure. <laughs> but what, yeah. What <laughs> that's another podcast I wonder what he was thinking there <laughs> with his avatar yeah my avatar's got a sexy ass I'm just gonna zoom yeah look at my ass look at how anyway. good I am at fixing cars <laughs> yeah I mean what did you make of the, the the kind of America section of the film I thought it was okay for some I watched it does fall down a bit because this ends up being so irrelevant uh, there's obviously a lot cut out I mean Lennox He's the third-billed cast member in this film, and he 
doesn't really do anything in this. And there's all these little references, like uh, when he meets up with uh, Glenn Morshower, who is playing General Morshower, of yes, course. Which, yes, of course. They just literally have no imagination when it comes to naming <laughs> characters. It started with him. Uh, when he meets up with him, Glenn Morshower said, oh, you're, you're all undercover with these people. And then that's never mentioned again. Mm, yeah. Rich Pelleggi, uh, a proper actor... Who is famous for soaps? I don't, I don't need to tell you what he's famous for, Becky. You know all these all these famous roles of the X Files, Night Rider <laughs> Two Thousand, The Mass Magician. Uh, yes, all television programs I've not seen, but yes, I'm all, familiar all, with all them. Classics. All uh, classics. Uh, he he has no dialogue in this film. He just no. got a couple of close-ups of his face. So I'm like, there was uh, some plots with Mitch Pelleggi uh, and Lennox that has been completely cut out. Yeah, uh, like like uh, most still... of the, the plots. I mean, did they say there's like an additional 45 minutes that's been cut, something like that? And people were hoping it would be on the Blu-ray to kind of explain it's a bit like... more. But... but I think they should take those 40 minutes and put them into the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. <laughs> Just to see if it, you know, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and all the... I liked the Autobots in the last film. I thought the last film had the best Autobot teams as the first mm. one where they felt like individuals. Yes. But here they come back and they have a couple of scenes where they're sort of hanging about, but they don't really do anything. Yeah. And uh, Squeaks and Isabella, they're trying so hard, so, so hard to be Ray and BB-8. Yeah. And so that's a few uh, modes of this film there. It's following other films quite blatantly as well sort of try to jump mm-hmm. on their coattails uh, and that doesn't really go anywhere either sort of Mark Wahlberg just sort of adopts her <laughs> and then she's not in it for an hour yeah, which again that's another good movie in the movie it could be a human girl you know like Isabella discovering these Autobots hiding out at a junkyard and having shenanigans and that could have been a really good 80s style movie you know like et like mac and me like super eight that steven spielberg made several years ago that could have been really good but again they just don't follow it isabella gets dumped at the the junkyard and you don't see her do anything until the end of the film so she misses all of the narrative and just sort of comes in at the end not knowing the context for what she's then doing and then all of a sudden it squeaks his job to save the day with the Decepticon arm she installs on him at the start of the film that you've actually forgotten about by the end of the film because you've not seen them, you've not seen Squeaks trying to adapt to using it, it's just sort of there. You've got Hound and Crosshairs and uh, Drift who are actually quite good for the moments they're on screen. I mean, John frickin' Goodman as a giant robot with a beer belly. Awesome. You know, I really like Crosshairs, the fact that they've taken this very unique design of making his car kibble into a flowing coat and giving him a kind of British sharpshooter thing. And Drift isn't as racist as Revenge of the Fallen, so hooray! (laughs) Developments! Uh, I I like (laughs) Drift. I think he's a a good... Mm, uh, proxy of the more of a meets the eye version who is a some of wannabe <laughs> samurai thing I mean uh, some of the jokes in the last one were just took directly from more of a meets the eye with him like where he goes oh I'm so zen and then he panics so that's just, a straight yeah, up James Roberts straight... <laughs> which I'm I sure mean, James would be delighted with that comparison yeah. I mean I like IDW Drift I think I think he's okay I think he started off rocky but he's he's kind of likeable now um, my, my, my favourite thing about Drift is I watched The Last Night with my parents uh, two weeks ago because they know nothing about Transformers so I wanted to kind of gauge you know how do you see this as a, a general film audience and they are a huge fan of um, kind of Japanese and Chinese sort of films. They watch things like Curse of the Golden Flower, things like that. And I said at the end, you know, that was Ken Montana Bay playing, you know, Drift. And they went, 
really? Didn't even recognise his voice. And I said, really? And she said, yeah, they, they made him sound more racist somehow. <laughs> and I could just imagine, you know, Michael Bay stood there in the sound recording booth going, no, sound more Asian. You don't sound Asian enough. And so that was, kind of I, killed it for me. <laughs> I'm surprised they could remember Drift, because I think by the end of the film, the last time he spoke was about two hours before. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> he, he doesn't say Drift. anything. Yeah, he's... Which one was Drift? There was... Yeah, he, he, was the, he was the one who was blue in the last movie, but apparently that was too confusing, so he's bright red now, uh, for reasons, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's... Again, it's just a reminder of what a wasted opportunity it could be. And how easy it could be to fix the film, because you didn't even... <sighs> the problem is that you could easily do one half of the film without the other half of the film, but taking the other half of the film out strips out some of the plot elements. So I was going to say, you could have just done her hanging out in the junkyard and then getting the MacGuffin and going to, you know, the ship. But if you miss all the bits in England, you miss all the narrative. And if you just did the bits in England, you'd miss all the narrative of who Isabella and where the other Transformers have been. So... All the elements do rely on each other, even though they're just completely different things. Uh, we also shouldn't forget uh, Kane's funny black friend, either. He was such a, a oh, pivotal. Oh, yeah. Yes, pivotal. Yes. I mean, I forgot he was... Every time he wasn't on screen, I forgot he existed. And then he, like, the camera would come back to him. And I'm like, what, who is he? What? Yeah. Oh, he's his funny... I'm pretty sure they wrote that uh, thinking of his funny white friend from the last film, and they forgot that they killed him. <laughs> so I was having him a funny black sidekick this time. Totally different character. As funny sidekicks go, I think he's the best one the films have given us. He seems to have a really good... The actor did a really good job with a bad script yeah, yeah, of he... using the comedic timing, especially the scene where he gets shot with the beanbag is genuinely funny. Because, you know, he's there, he's going, Cade, I'm dying, man, I'm dying. And Cade's just like, but the problem is Mark Wahlberg is not a good comedic actor. So he was throwing what could be, what he had actually made very funny at someone who was just, just sort of a brick wall. Um, I, I know there are people out there who rate Mark Wahlberg as an actor. I'm not one of them. He, he has yeah. the same face and the same voice in every scene. I don't buy any of it. And he sounds kind of, I don't want to say whiny because I like it when male characters are written to show emotions that aren't just anger and sadness but he has this kind of edge to his voice it's really i don't want to go and save the world i just want to invent stuff and you're like well you're the one who've put yourself in that situation by allying with the autobots so shut up and get on with it man jeez well you know he's, he's had a tough time his daughter has had to you know Go to college. Literally phone in a performance. <laughs> uh, I, I think we've talked about this on a podcast before, but I can't believe they actually got her back. To, no, I, I thought, that was, a, I thought yeah. that was a different actress. They were like working around her refusal to do it again. But no, so, no, you actually will phone in. Yeah, a I mean, performance. Like, yeah. When he, at the end, when he's going to sacrifice himself, normally they would cut to her yeah. in a normal film. Oh, and she'd be looking up at the sky going, oh, oh my father, he's so great. My oh. father's up there, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how she's at college where the government would want her as well. I mean, these people did destroy Hong Kong in the last yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> they should all be, be. That's probably what happened to Sandy Tucci's last character. He's in a He's Chinese in a jail. jail. Yeah. He's tortured to death. Yeah, like crimes, <laughs> genocide against a people. But she somehow, it's okay for her to go to college and they can't. <laughs> That's another thing. Like, they knew Cade was in the junkyard because they show Megatron to go there or Megatron goes there and they know. I, 
We're trying to oh, work they, it they out. They put a tracking device on him. On oh, Bumblebee, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. No, I was trying to write, work out the sequence of events because Dad actually said to me later, like, how did the bad robot know to go to the junkyard? And I honestly couldn't remember because the tracking device being fitted to Bumblebee, whilst a really good G1 homage of what happens in, oh, what is it? Uh, the Immobilizer, the episode The Immobilizer, Bumblebee gets a tracking device fitted to him. So it could be, that could have been a G1 Easter egg, but... I'd forgotten because so much shit happened between it attaching to him and arriving at the junkyard for the big fight scene. It just doesn't flow. So, you know, it created it created a plot hole where there wasn't a plot hole, but because it was so badly edited, there was a plot hole. Yeah, I mean, the Megatron stuff is strange as well. Oh, God, but he's yeah. definitely in two different films. I mean, I don't... Yeah. Malcolm Bay doesn't seem to ever want to use Megatron, which is you know, fair enough for the Transformers villains. You, mm. you can use it each film. It stops his villain decay mm. if he isn't bleeding villain every time. But it feels like Hasbro, I say, no, you must have Megatron in this film for at least 10 minutes. Or maybe Megatron's got some incriminating photos of Michael Bay. <laughs> I, I don't know. But it, it is, I mean, again, this would be a good film. Maybe mm. Optimus Prime is buggered off. Yeah. And something weird shit's happening, so the human authorities have to team up with Megatron and have an easy alliance. And that's a film there. Yeah, that's a Where, film there. And it's that's a good one film. scene of him bullying some lawyers because lawyers are dicks. Because lawyers are dicks, <laughs> yeah. And the horrible thing is, this is the best that film Megatron has been for me. I mean, I love Hugo Weaving to pieces, but getting Frank Welker back, redesigning Megatron so he looks like this really badass kind of knight with the huge sword. And I love what they did with the face. They made him more emotive, even though you barely see him speaking and, and emoting. And it, again, it's just wasted because you've got the best movie Megatron and he doesn't do anything. I don't see why he even teamed up with Quintessa because he's useless. Quintessa, I'd be sat there going, what the fuck? I've given you powers and stuff and you're just, you're useless. You're even more useless than G1 Toon Megatron. What yeah, the hell, dude? So bizarre because he, he does that thing where he's, oh, I've, I've teamed up with humans to find out what's going on. I and mean, then he comes, vanishes for an hour, mm. comes back, rides up. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I knew what was going on all along. I've been well, working with the, And he had the red Quintessa. scar. You know, the red scar that she gave Optimus. So I think you're meant to assume that he was brainwashed by her, but you don't see it happen. So you've got no confirmation of that. And even my dad said, oh, he's got that thing, like the good robot. Does that mean he's a bad guy? And my dad hadn't even realised that he was a bad guy because they did such a bad job of explaining what the difference between Autobot and Decepticon was. He didn't I, even realise that Megatron was the bad one. I, I think that there was a, a problem in post-production because I think a lot of the stuff with Evil Optimus was a bit of a fudge because mm. I think the original idea was that he just was pissed off Yes. And decided to fuck the humans, and there was no mind control or anything involved. And then someone along the line thought, no, that's a bit too much. So then you get, he gets his glowing eyes and he has to shout, I am Nemesis Prime! Every 10 seconds. It's all very odd. His, his brainwashing gets broke in about three seconds. And, it's, <laughs> and then he's all sheepish and like, oh yeah, I nearly destroyed the earth. Oh, Whoops a daisy, my brothers are going to kill again. me. Yeah. It, it, it almost seems like. They wrote generic action Hollywood script, which might have been good, like the first one. 
And then someone came along, someone at Hasbro came along with a big highlighter pen and was like, no, you have to use the word Unicron. You have to use the words Nemesis Prime. You have to put a tracking device on Bumblebee for a G1 Easter egg because we must pander to the fans. And it's the pandering to the fan stuff that broke the film. Because at the end, mum looked at me and went, so what was Unicron? What was the big deal with that? And I was like, well, unless you've seen the cartoon movie or any of season three of the original 86 cartoon or the recent CGI Prime show, you wouldn't have any clue. So the, yeah. the general audience would have come out going, eh, what? Oh. Yeah, that, that is the issue because you're meant to at least think that, oh, the temptation to stop Unicron would be a, uh, a serious thing Prime would consider, mm. but they never tell you what's so serious about Unicron. I mean, that no. he's sided with Earth in every previous film, even in the third one, when it could have restored Cybertron then. Yeah. Uh, so what is the deal with Unicron that would make it uh, a different thing? And it's the same problem with the 86 film has, ironically enough. In fact, that doesn't mm. give you any fucking clue what the hell Unicron is or what he's after or what's going on. a great on. evil. I mean, I can excuse it in the 86 film because I'm a fan of the fifth element and you're not told what the bad guy is in the fifth element either. It's this dark cloud thing that's moving towards the Earth. And it's given enough gravitas that you can go, oh, okay, that's bad. I'm on Corbin Dallas's side. That's fine. And in the 86 movie, because you see Unicron attacking the Autobots that you love from the show, again, you can kind of contextualise it. And I think even a general audience could, because they're going to know the good guys are the ones where it literally says they're the good guys in the opening narration. Um, but in The Last Night, it's like, okay, the planet's growing horns and is the brother to Cybertron, I think, but... Cybertron's dead and Optimus doesn't remember it being dead even though he's the one who destroyed it in Dark of the Moon what? Yeah, and it's it's... A, it, what would have been better they could have kept the Unicron element in they could have then just put in a brief explanation like Optimus Prime with a PowerPoint presentation on a laptop saying Unicron was defeated ages ago in an ancient battle he drifted off into space he came into your star system and he became a planet on which organic life sprouted because meteorites or some shit yeah, um, it's that Doctor Who episode of the Spartan it's that Doctor Who yeah it is and then, don't, watch, don't watch that humans I'll explain everything I'll explain everything yeah and then they could have you know they could have done the whole awakening thing and it could have been a race to stop Unicron waking up because if he woke up and transformed into robot mode everyone would die because we think this is a planet so it's fixable you you can use dumb yeah. science to fix it but I, adding in cybertron just fudges it all up i mean i'd have given Unicron some representation in the film like an avatar or something mm. like, like with Tessa has, yeah. because yeah. Uh, fucking peter cushing the hell out of it and have awesome well sound bites of a 1986 film playing Unicron or something <laughs> uh or, but you know give him something that makes him a him which i don't think would be apparent to anybody watching the film, maybe Unicron is a, an it. It's a, it's, it. it's a planet. Yeah, it's not even <laughs> it's, a, a. Bring the sassy, sarcastic, uh, bitching planet back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it pleases me to be the first. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, that could have been fun. You can still take an insane concept and make it work if you have confidence in it and if you have enough narrative to back it up. But the last night just at all. Uh, I, I suppose yeah, the other thing to mention before we, uh, we go on to the England parts of the film, <laughs> which I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say about, <laughs> is the Suicide Squad sequence, which, again, <sighs> that's the film... I mean, I've not seen Suicide Squad. No, I, I don't either. know that much about it, but as soon as that came on in the cinema, I was like, this is a Suicide Squad. Yeah, this is a Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy stroke Suicide Squad casting call for 
Decepticons we've never seen before and will not matter in another 10 minutes because yeah. they all die. Yeah. It's not maybe going, oh, everybody knows we don't give them enough character, so let's give them some character and then instantly kill all of them. Yeah. I don't know if, that, if that's a piss take of Suicide Squad because I've not seen it, so maybe it's like satirising it. It's I don't know if it's like... Or, a, but... <laughs> or it's a deeply rooted satirical take on the G1 Marvel comic, maybe because I've just got this in my head at the moment because I've been reading it all morning, but you know, where they will introduce themselves and say, I, Ratchet, the Autobot medic, who I've been friends with all of you for years, but I must reintroduce myself for the audience. Like, maybe it was a really subtle dig at that, but again... A movie I would watch, like you were saying, you know, Megatron team up with the humans, gets his squad together, and you've got like Nitro Zeus, who's already friendly with human beings, and yeah, especially certain people's wives. Well, yeah, especially that you know he's good at Thanksgiving dinners to bring round because he can cook the turkey really quick. But uh, it's a shame because none of them got toys either, apart from Nitro Zeus, and they would all have made really interesting toys, especially Mohawk. Mohawk was a really good, interesting design. But then he dies and his head comes off and that's it. End, yeah, I, mean, end of I think the film needed them at the end as well. So when Megatron and yes. all that. I mean, I don't even know half the characters are at the end. Who have a good night, who have a bad night. I think he says, <laughs> does he say repugnance at one point? I did catch it all. Was it Infernus? Infer- yeah, but, but they've, they've all got names like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, fo- fo- Latin style. Yeah, which uh, uh, unless you'd seen them in the background of Quintessa's uh, scene, you wouldn't have even realised they were Quintessa's knights because it's not made obvious where they came from. They just show up. So yeah, I mean, I mean, Nice for Zeus doing some banter there would have would have helped some Bohawk. Mm. Uh, I mean, but poor old Barricade, I mean, I, I, mm. he's he was sort of a breakout. Uh, he was a Bob Effect in the first one in fact he doesn't really do much in it but people tend to remember him Yeah. Uh, so even though he got killed off in Dark of the Moon they brought him back and, and yeah. he could have done more. more I mean wouldn't it be great if in the England bits he'd adopted a British police car disguise oh, that would have been a jam a marmalade sandwich please a marmalade sandwich car as barricade and some little old lady asks him for direction to Morrison's he's like fuck off I'm actually a bad guy but yeah, I mean, I had high hopes for Barricade because, you know, he got a toy in Wave 1, I think, and he's getting a Masterpiece toy because he's obviously resonated with some part of the fandom. I personally don't like him that much. But, you know, there's a there's an interesting thing there that has appealed to people that, again, they've just missed completely. Just missed. I, what I always talked about Barricade is how the IDW film comics back when they, they still cared enough to do them. Uh that they obviously latch on to him as well and they made him like Bumblebee's arch nemesis and this amazing major character and then like he wasn't in Revenge of the Fallen and then he gets killed off in two seconds in Dark of the Moon and yeah. then he's in five minutes of this one. Yeah, if that, if t- four minutes, 30 seconds and he gets taken out by Bumblebee punching him in car mode or something, like flying a missile at him or something and then he just, he, he gets like blown off the road and then he just never shows up again it's almost like he went ah oh, you know what megatron you're not worth this i'm i'm going home i'm gonna go skulk in some neighborhoods again because i didn't get shot at then so it's fine he's hanging out with that character Decepticon who vanished uh halfway through the uh, the first one mm. uh, uh which was it bone crusher was it he went uh, they're all driving on the freeway he's not seen again after yeah. that because out a bit optimus prime kills him yeah so he's just awol yeah him, just... him and barricade hanging out yeah, with all of the 86 uh, movie bots that you don't see die on screen, Red Alert, Inferno, you know, all that lot. They're all just hanging out together in some kind of forgotten character limbo. 
some sort of transformer retirement home, maybe. There's an idea. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, we, when we finally get to prison, uh, I have to say, for me, the highlight of this film is Anthony Hopkins. Yes. By, uh, I mean, but people who say, oh, we'll do it. It's Anthony Hopkins. He does any old shit. Uh, he doesn't care. But I think we need to remember in context, this is off the back of his career renaissance with Westworld. You know, mm-hmm. He has credibility again now, Anthony Hopkins. Um, and even when he is just doing random old shit, he always gives 110%. Always. And he gets it exactly right. So this is uh, just uh, the, the first G.I. Joe film. Uh, poor old Chris Reckleson, when he's playing Destro, is in this sort of larger in life he's meant to be this sort of larger in life funny British guy and he does it awfully yes because you can see he's work. dead I mean God bless, <laughs> bless him Mr. Eccleston if he, he he loves taking the money but he feels dirty when he does it yeah and you can see it in 4-2 as well mm-hmm. yeah well, you can Hopkins, if he takes the money he is gonna do the work and <laughs> that money regardless and he just again I do have my, my good friend Cliff Jumper who hates this uh he thinks uh, it's like oh, oh it's just funny people funny british people swearing ha, isn't it funny if a british person says shit oh, that's a joke oh he's got the robot from rogue one as his butler oh he's a butler who's rude ha he's a math funny that's a joke for an hour but I, i'm a simpler man i appreciate that joke and quite enjoy it there were the... there were subtle nuances to his performance as well you know now that i've seen this film three times i've really concentrated on each of the characters and he goes from like this um very bum- bumbling old man you know when mark Wahlberg first rocks up at uh, castle folgen and is like oh my god the old dude who are you i can't act i'm mark Wahlberg. And he's there and he's doing this kind of forgetful performance, you know, World War II, Battle of the Somme, Battle of Man, very, very sad, very, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, Bumblebee, hi, I used to know you somehow, but we're not going to explain that. And then he suddenly switches to actually being this very switched on guy who just happens to be a little bit out there. And it makes him feel like one of the only complete people in the Transformers universe because he has a point, he fulfills the point, he unfortunately is then killed, but... In being killed, he fulfills his character arc, which was to be a part of something, which means that he is the most fleshed out. And Anthony Hopkins, I think, just had a complete ball with it and was going to make it as Shakespearean a performance as he could. And he did. I mean, pure cinematic perfection was him leaning into Mark Wahlberg's face and saying, dude, because you could see the delight in his eyes as he was saying it. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great subver- subversion. So, I mean, it's not the first one. Has Simmons, who uh, sort of up to then, many black characters, even in the comedy films, uh, like Many Black, uh, has some many black in it. Uh, they tend to be portrayed as straight men, you know, sort of serious. Uh, even in comedy, the comedy stuff tends to happen around, but they might wisecrack a bit. But they tend to get played very dangerous especially in sort of actiony films yeah. well the first one took that and just took, took the piss out of it completely because yeah. obviously he's not answerable to anyone because nobody else knows about this robot and he's just gone nuts and can do what the hell he likes yeah and again here yeah, this could this could be lots of the obi-wan kenobi wise old man let me ex- give you exposition about the, the stuff that has happened to pass on my mantle mm. and he said it's just yeah 
get out of the way, shitheads, as he's driving <laughs> along. Yeah, and, and speaking of Simmons, he has a really great comedic chemistry with Simmons when they're doing the phone conversation. You know, Simmons is a wasted character because he is fantastic and he is played fantastically. Oh, yeah. And the few scenes of them bouncing off each other over the phone just made me wish that the film had been like those two as a buddy comedy, you know, a guy desperate to get into this secret society who has the answers and the old stick in the mud who's eccentric and won't let anybody in. It had sort of almost shades of Kingsman in it. And, you know, the bit where he's inducting him, him over the phone, but he gets the words wrong and the guy's like, you know, hi, you're not going to trick me like that. I know your words. That was so, so good. And one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, I mean, with Simmons, I liked the idea of a little bit of will building with Cuba as some sort of refuge for. And I like they, they told you what happened to that, those couple of wreckers who are yeah. still alive. They just haven't given a fuck about anything that happens. <laughs> <laughs> After Megatron's master plan, I mean, uh, shit, Dark of the Moon, uh, they just decided they didn't care anymore because humans <laughs> are dumb. Uh, so that, that was, I, I liked his little appearance. I felt sad that. Both him and uh, Lennox are like, they look older now. It's been 10 yeah, years, Becca. It's, it's been 10, ten years. years. Although Lennox looks older because they spray painted half his hair white. Uh, he looks more like a comic book man than an actual person. But yeah, Simmons is always fun. And I will defend, even I will even defend the thong thing in Revenge of the Fallen. Well, you know, that's what people forget. You have a person whose ass you see the most of in Revenge of the Fallen. Is it Megan Fox? It's... Uh, Simmons. Simmons. Yeah. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. I'm just going to call him Simmons. That's, that's who he is to me. That, that is who he is to me as well. Is it John Turturro? Jo- that sounds right. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I'm is. not going to yeah. have a go without him surname, but he's, just, he's, he's <laughs> Mr. Simmons. <laughs> he's Mr. Simmons, my favourite secret agent dude who isn't Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and Men in Black. But yeah, they, they were great. And I guess if we're going to talk about Anthony Hopkins, we're going to have to talk about Cogman. Oh, I think we've run out of time, though, so we have to end it. Oh, uh, well, tell me, Becca, what did you think about the character of Cogman? Oh, I thought he was awful. No, he is, just... isn't he? Just about robot from Rogue One, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, who likes a charismatic, slightly nutso robot throwing shade over how useless men are whilst kicking ass despite his small size? Who, who could possibly ever want that, you know? Also, he was played by the butler from Downton Abbey, which I've never seen but now I want to see, but I know I will be disappointed because the butler isn't a robot. Yeah. I mean, I I think my favourite thing about Cogman is like talking about domestic drudgery. It's the fact that he's going slightly mental because he was built for war and combat and he's now a butler. And there's that wonderful scene where he tries to strangle Mark Wahlberg. Again, possibly one of my favourites. And Sir Anthony Hopkins is clearly saying to him, you know, you've got to channel your anger. And he's like, yeah, into shining the silverware, because that's fun. And you really get a sense that this robot did grow up with Anthony Hopkins and has actually served this family for generations and is just so bored of putting on other people's trousers. And so when he finally then gets into the car on the London streets and is mowing people down, which is morally wrong. I'm not I'm not saying that it's a good thing. It's not. But it's then just really nice to just see him let go. Just be like, yeah, fuck yeah, move, bitch, get out of the way. And I think what makes him so good is he's just fun. And I think that's why so many people have cottoned on to him and Nitro Zeus. They seem to be the two robots that have come out of The Last Night as the fan favourites. Because they're just having fun. They're not trying to be the leader or imparting dialogue or anything like that. They're just they're just there 
they're going to blow things up and and play rap music and yell at the humans and sometimes that's all you want from life you want simplicity <laughs> i'm going to come out in defense of hot rod i i, I love like hot, hot rod and yeah all the fad whining before it came out <laughs> he's he doesn't look like hot rod unlike all the other movie characters who share names <laughs> with like 84 six characters that's this is totally unacceptable i would never have expected him to look different <laughs> yeah guys we, we've been French. through this five times you know hound is no longer a, a lovely jeep that loves scenery crosshairs didn't even exist in g1 you know come on come on you know you got to get in the michael bay headspace i thought he was actually a pretty faithful take on hot one anyway because he's like yeah. uh, a bit of a swaggery git yeah, brash youngster. Hot Rod has ever said would make much more sense if it was in a Fred Jackson. And I don't think you can prove that more than meets the eye. Hot Rod doesn't have a Fred Jackson. <laughs> I challenge anyone. Yeah, we, we don't know what he sounds like. He could very well have the accent. Yeah. I've got a course of a French dub of, of the cartoons. Uh, everybody has a Fred Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Checkmate, prejudices people. Yeah, checkmate, atheists. <laughs> but um, I liked Vivian as well. I liked the dynamic between him and Vivian. I wish we'd seen more of it. You know, the idea that her car has always been protecting her, a bit like Bumblebee and Sam in the first movie, but obviously a long, more longer relationship. Um, and when, you know, she has what is possibly the most believable uh, reaction to Transformers, you know, when he transforms and she's trying to hit him with the um, polo mallet, you know, and he's saying, come on, please, you know, I'm your friend, haha, going, oh, she's so difficult at Anthony Hopkins. And that was wonderful. And when he was trying to introduce himself and trying to say his name and she couldn't understand him, it's little moments like that that, that make that stop me from completely hating the films, you know, apart from the whole, they were my first, so I have to like them. Little things like that show me that there are glimmers in the films that could be good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it didn't hit me so much the first time, but it's coming out the second time of watching it, because uh, mm. I've only watched it twice, people. I'm not dun, as dedicated as Becca. Dun, dun, dun. But, uh, I, I came out to really like it, a character, and it felt like they were trying quite hard on this one, because obviously there have been many complaints. I often unjustified, I think, I mean, I've said before how much I liked uh, Megan Fox as Michaela, but mm. sort of uh, maybe not uh, many complaints about the female characters of their treatment and it did feel like this time we're going look we've got uh, one who's 13 and we're not even going to have a conversation about whether it's okay to have sex with her this time that's <laughs> how we've come <laughs> there's no and, Romeo and Juliet laws here people yeah but, but they didn't even uh, explain what happened to him did they it's like yeah he's, no. he's probably in jail somewhere he's had a Hollywood expose done on him <laughs> But, uh, yeah. He's running for governor of uh, for, for, for the American Senate right now. Actually, that character <laughs> <laughs> topical humor, satire. Yeah, but, uh, uh, with Vivian, they try. She gets the MacGuffin holder role that usually yeah. in the previous films has gone for men. Uh, yes, uh, Sam and uh, Sam Kane in the last one. Uh, so she gets the actual even one who has a plot revolving around her. It doesn't quite work because they still feel compelled to give Marky Mark stuff to do like he gets that thing clamped onto his wrist like, yeah see that, again like if you wanted to fix the last night with the existing concepts not saying we want a different movie you could have done it so easily because Cade Yeager is completely superfluous to the plot the whole medallion thing has no bearing on Quintessa all he uses it for is to form the sword which I'm assuming is meant to be Excalibur at the end to save Optimus which could have been done by Bumblebee he could have stood up and been like whoa guys hang on he was made a mistake and they probably would have listened to him what you what could have 
you know, what they should have done was just focused entirely on Vivian. You know, she gets the artifact, Anthony Hopkins tracks her down, is like, look, your dad was part of the secret order. I'm going to train you. These are Transformers, blah, blah, blah. And the ending could still have played out the exact same way. She has to activate the spaceship. She has to go up to Cybertron. She has to stop Quintessa. All of the elements were there. If they hadn't insisted on crowbarring Mark Wahlberg into the film with all the robots from the last film, they could have had a 100% workable story that would have easily taken place within 90 minutes. It, you wouldn't even have needed that extra hour that they then tacked onto it. Um, and yeah, they at one point they do put her in a stripper dress. They even lampshade it. You know, Anthony Hopkins is like, okay, you're wearing that, are you? I see. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm not sure why she got changed at that point either. I'm not well, either. She, she because... was sensibly dressed before. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to find out about these robots, but first, uh, luckily, I brought my slinky dress for me. Yeah, and and she was at what? Well, she was at her parents' house. So why did she have extra outfits on her? And if that outfit wasn't hers, where did it come from? And uh, you know, Tony Hopkins is a member of the British aristocracy. What they get up to behind That's closed doors? That, and he is a very ladies' man. Uh, Erica on Twitter has definitively proven that. I'm still waiting for Chris to put it on the TF wiki. It's not been put on there. I feel betrayed. Um, yeah, and. She was she was good. I mean, you had that whole thing where she thought her dad was a rapscallion, but it turns out, you know, he was this actual honourable guy. She is the chosen one. She gets her worldview shaken at the beginning of the film. She thinks that myths and legends are just that. They're just stories we tell each other. And by the end, she gets to take, play, take part in an epic mythical battle. So she herself has a good, strong character. It's just a shame that all of her scenes got taken away and given to Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I mean, I'm also thinking on some of her family stuff about, about weird business where they're, they're really they're happy really, for her yeah. to have sex with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> oh, look, it sounds like they're ripping apart the room up there. That's some good sex they're having. Let's all go listen at the door. Yeah, because who shouts such a hoarder during sex? That's the only thing. They didn't even make it. They didn't even do it properly. They should have been saying things like, oh, God, this chest of drawers is so big. Something like that. You know, oh, this chest is so big. But as it was, it didn't work. I'd just be sat there going, God, they're really tearing the hell out of that study. Not, yes, this is obviously sex because a man and woman went upstairs and there are loud noises. Look, that's, anything, that's the only thing a man and a woman ever do if they're in a room alone together. I just have to assume that there's some sort of sex. Uh, whatever else you oh, hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if, if, even if the door's open and they're sat there on separate sofas not having sex, you must assume that they're having sex. That is rule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, male and female mixed offices is just one big orgy all the time. That's true. That's just quite... <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But... Uh, yeah, I, mean, I thought, uh, I thought uh, the actress, whose name I'm going to have to look up because I have forgotten it. Uh, she did a good job, whoever her name was. Laura really Haddock, liked her. of course. Laura Haddock. We all know Laura Haddock, amazing actress. Uh, I think she did well. It's interesting, you, across the five films, you can tell that Michael Bay is interested in two types of women. Yeah. Oiled grease monkeys and posh British totty. And yeah. Those are the only two women <laughs> in his world. Yeah, I mean, I have just, I've just Googled her name myself because it suddenly seemed familiar to me and I've just realised that she's, that she was young, well, she was Star-Lord's mum in Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. which, wow, yeah, okay, that's, yeah. I was expecting, like, um, the girl who was in Dark of the Moon, she'd have, like, one acting credit, but she doesn't. So, good, she's a really good actress, she should get more roles because she's believable. Um, she does a lot with what she's given here as well. She does a lot, yeah, she does. I don't think she ever really convinces you that her and Marky Mark are going to last. I think 
next time we're in a room together, they will just be moving furniture as he moves out. Yes, yeah. And her outside again. Oh, they're moving furniture again. All they want about me, ladies. I did find it really distracting that one of the aunts was like the police chief from uh, Inspector Lewis. Because I just oh, kept uh, looking at her like... Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, a thick of it. And yeah, and things like that. Yeah. She's been in a lot. So when I saw her, I was like, uh? But you're a high-ranking police commissioner. Why do you care if someone has a sex dungeon? What's it to you? As long as it's consensual, who cares? But, uh... Oh, uh, they mentioned uh, uh, lesbians as well. That's, I felt like, yeah, look, we're pro. Progress, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're de- definitely because he did a lesbian joke. Yeah. Although, yeah. I mean, as, as you know, a member of that community myself, I, I was thinking it was quite well done because they could have made it quite filthy. But just mentioning it and then, like, touching on it and passing by, I was like, yeah, that that's nice. That's And then they did the whole sex in the bedroom thing. But, you know, <laughs> swings and roundabouts for well, everyone. They didn't have a dog up in anyone's leg if they swore it. Well, that's very true. And Wheelie was in it, and he didn't have sex with anyone's foot. So, good job, well, Wheelie. It was like our where they were him and uh, funny black man were alone in America. Uh, what what happens that's when true. you're alone in a junkyard? Stays. It stays <laughs> in the junkyard. <laughs> what happens in the junkyard stays in the junkyard. That might explain where the little diamond bots came from. Indeed. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I was actually quite glad to see Wheelie back as well. That's what I fun. like him. Uh, yeah. All back. Yeah, I, did. I mean, he was he was interesting because he was, like, created when the AllSpark converted all those house equipment things. So he was created, like, purposeless, which, again, good in good concept, poorly executed. But I actually liked him. I didn't mind him that much. Um, With all the other little callbacks in this film, I'm amazed we didn't bring Skids and Mudflap back as well. I, yeah, I am absolutely gobsmacked that they didn't show up, actually. I was expecting it, especially because um, during the last one, they were doing like promotional offers on the cars that were painted like them. So I was like, surely they're going to bring them back at some point. But nope. But yeah, uh, I, uh, I, I was so in love with Wheelie Bear. I lost uh, oh, dogs, humping, sex, <laughs> uh, McGuffins. Uh, I, I, oh, uh, one thing that bugged me actually with, with World War II flashbacks is uh, it, that got a lot of fuss before the film came out as well. People going, mm-hmm. how dare they film a Nazi scene at Winston Churchill's house. Oh, well, Winston Churchill, he would be disgusted by this. And I was, well, you'd have to explain to me the concept of a 21st century blockbuster first and robots. And... <laughs> you'd also have to stumble across him on the one hour a day he was sober, but okay. <laughs> but even before Phil came out, I was like, you know what, I bet you know, this film is probably going to end up being anti-Nazi. That's my, that's my hunch. Yeah, yeah. And I think Winston Churchill will probably agree with that message. Yeah. Generally. Definitely. So I don't see what the fuss about there, but what people probably, as everyone who has seen the historical doc- documentaries about Indiana Jones knows, mm. one thing Hitler was nuts about was old mythological magic weapons. Yeah, Spear of Destiny ones. and things like that, yeah. So they could have connected that to the King Arthur stuff. Yeah, they could have. Quite easily by having that fight spear about trying to find the spear, not spear, but the, 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 the staff or whatever. Yeah, well, they so could have mistaken, the yeah, the staff, the spear. Hey, we're doing a Bumblebee film next year, kids, and this is how he's been around for years on Earth. That's how he's going to be in the eighties of the next film. That is the only purpose of this scene. Yeah, it, it definitely is, considering that Bumblebee himself doesn't remember serving in the Second World War, which he wouldn't, because he came to Earth for the first time in two thousand and seven. Yeah, that was that was blatantly that was like Batman versus Superman discovering Lex Luthor's USB stick that has trailers on for Cyborg and Wonder Woman and that lot. So, 
yeah, that scene is just superfluous and serves nothing. It serves literally no... Although I suppose it is brought up later because Mark Wahlberg says, Hey, B, the person you were in the posters, you need to be that person again. And Bob will be just the looking at him like... The most famous World War II recruiting posters, everyone remembers. Yeah, yeah, you know, like, keep calm and carry on. It's iconic, man. Which is a shame because I really liked Bumblebee in, like, the olive green and the, the, the camo. It looked cool. I, was yeah. it a Volkswagen? Did you... Was that no. the gag there? I can't no, I, I was trying to look at it to see what he was, but he wasn't. Um, oh. I don't think they had the license back at that point. Didn't they have to apply for permission for the Bumblebee movie or something? Yeah, I, I would assume for, for a vintage vehicle there, they're mm. going to supply one for. Uh, they wouldn't need like the whole the give us eight cars. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Bumblebee movie. I'll see it, even if it's bad. I'll see it. <laughs> ah, curse of being a fan. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to have about the British scenes. There's a whole weird business where Anthony Hopkins has to break into Downing Street that was just blanked with padding as well. Like, he's not even He can just walk in. He could have. The minister would listen to him. He has robots my main, in his house. My main issue is with it is that when Transformers The Last Night entered production, David Cameron was still Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And then by the time Transformers The Last Night came out at the cinema, we'd had the referendum and Theresa May was the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. So you're watching it going, this film that has only just come out of the box office is already dated. Because yeah, blatantly, well, that was meant to be. You can see the previous ones they have had, like the real president. Um, yeah. It, it, quite scathing treatment of the, the last two American presidents as well. It's like the first one, W's an idiot. Yes. And then the next three, Obama is responsible for attempted Transformers genocide, at least, at least unwittingly, because he's, yeah. uh, he's in charge of the yeah. last one. That lovable Obama. Yeah. But uh, they don't uh, touch on... I guess they wouldn't have known he was going to be the president when they were filming it, but there's not even a hint. No. <laughs> it's mean, not that one line where Teddy Hopkins goes, oh, you're the new Prime Minister. And I'm like, we're not touching anything going on with UK we're politics not. at the moment. Well, this cast guy looks a bit like David Cameron. We'll get Rimmer's brother from Red Dwarf. Yes, he looks a bit like he'll him. look like him. Yeah, he'll be fine. Yeah. And he'll be just as useless. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, I, I loved that scene because Anthony Hopkins going, shh, 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 no, shh, 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 at the Prime Minister. That was just great because Anthony Hopkins is great and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Um, yeah, the, and... You didn't really get an impression of what he did there because, you know, at the end of the film, they all converge on Stonehenge and the British Armed Forces theoretically oh. are there, but they focus on the American Armed Forces because they're the ones who are going to fly up and save the day, what ho? Which, yeah, but that, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the field often get complaints for, oh, they're so pro-American, but they do. I mean, Revenge of the Fallen introduced the idea of a coalition of armed forces mm. working with the Autobots with a British guy in it. And that... People completely failed to notice that. They were like, oh, it's all Americans. And, <laughs> so we didn't bother with that so much of a third one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, in Redfall as well, like, I mean, uh, in Egypt, you know, they make a thing of saying, oh, the, the local armed forces are coming in to do airstrikes as well. It's not mm. just America. But in this one, it is just America. <laughs> is there, <laughs> where, where are the SAS? Where, uh, where's the Navy? Uh, Oh, uh, yeah, so that's true to life because uh, I have relatives with armed forces and mm. basically have no armed forces anymore. And most of them are stationed in the Falklands. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll, and they'll, they'll all be moving to Gibraltar probably at some point in the next six months, but. <laughs> I guess we would have to have America come sort our shit out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but, yeah. Uh, the, the weakest part of our film for me, though, was the Stonehenge thing. Yeah. It felt 
yeah. underwhelmed. It felt small scale. Even I, I like the sort of homage for Quintus on ship. I yeah. thought that was quite a nice update. But other than that, it was like they've done this before. Yeah, and they've done better in the previous films. It's like the finale starts and goes on for like 45 minutes. And it's just 45 minutes of shouting, explosions, shaky cam. It's everything that Michael Bay does badly. Because I think there are some things that Michael Bay does well. And I think making action scenes look, have that kind of sexy uh, streamlined look to them. He used to be very good at that. You know, um, The Rock, The Island, the first Transformers movie, Bad Boys, they've all got fight scenes in them that are interesting to look at, but he seems to just have degenerated over the years into this kind of stereotype that all the badness is showcased in the finale of The Last Night because everything he could have done could have been streamlined down to about 10 minutes of really good high octane action which would then have left room for an epilogue because the film it doesn't end it just stops it's just like which is the same problem last one had it like, yeah. just blasts off into space leaving everybody behind to yeah, deal but... piss off chinese government going what the fuck have you done <laughs> Oh we were just going about our day, man. Where did this spaceship come from? Yeah, what, yeah. what are these giant monsters who were only obeying Optimus Prime because he punched them? And what are they going to do now? Oh, they're yeah. going to have lots of little babies, apparently. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, at least Age of Extinction closed on his kind of monologue thing, you know, his signal, like uh, the first film did. But it, you got nothing in this. Optimus Prime drives out from the clouds and, and then you have uh, Vivian and, and Mark Wahlberg pretending to be in love and there's a shot of Isabella no, looking no, pleased and then Becca, nothing. They are, they are in love because they, <laughs> they disliked each other when they first met. <laughs> and then they had Tuna in a submarine. <laughs> oh, that was a waste. I mean, a submarine chase is never going to be that exciting no. or dramatic. No, and then no, he's like... a transformer as well. What happened to him? Where did he go? Or did he not want to join in at the end of the film? Yeah, and I think they specifically referred to her as a she, I think. So I think it was like, you know, look, canon lady transformer, but then... Oh, but boats are usually she's anyway. Oh, so did, did we do that yeah. after they knew? I mean, they, they do need more female. Um, yeah, that's, I'll, I'll save that for my thoughts on where they should go next. Again, yeah, more female transformers would Definitely. be nice. Yeah, not just some throwaway characters in Revenge of the Fallen, please. Can we get strong arm or something in there? Uh, but yeah, the, the submarine bit was weird. That was that was odd um, because again, I mean, it, it was it was character building, I guess, because you get the bonding of Cade and uh, Vivian, but entirely unnecessary. It should have just been they get in the sub, they arrive at the ship, cut out everything in between because it's pointless. Whether we get to submarine, you've got a weird bit where Lennox arrives and he's talking yeah. to Cade like they. They know each other. They know each other. Like, they've known each hey, other for Lennox, years. it's you. Where yeah. we met two seconds, two hours ago? Hey. Yeah, and then Optimus Prime rocks up and is all like, give me the staff. And Bumblebee just stands there like, all right, I thought you were in space, but you're here now. I'm just going to go over there and just ignore that you're here. Uh, I, I can't do anything until Cade yells at me to be brave because I'm not brave, even though the last three films have clearly established that I am. Uh, very oddly edited. Feels like maybe reshoots, I'm thinking. Yeah, definitely some odd... A lot of restructuring editing has gone on in this film anyway. I know mm-hmm. we've, we've, I mean, there's all sorts of weird stuff like uh, they leave in, even though it's clearly an overdubbed line, uh, the bit about Cogman being a headmaster. 
Yes. Even though none of, apparently they had a whole headmaster sequence planned. I don't know how far into development they got, whether they filmed any of the live action stuff for it, or whether it was cut even before that. But what, why leave in reference to being a headmaster? So that you'd buy the Nitro Zeus toy and the Cogman toy because they can work in tandem with each other. Ha ha ha. God, they could have teamed up. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Nitro Zeus is like, yo, I really love that guy's wife, so I'm going to save the planet because my love for her is stronger than the love that Mark Wahlberg has for Vivian, suddenly. Um, that would have been quite badass. Well, yeah, we, we've made a, a better film. We've made, a better, we've made several better films during the course of this podcast. We, we definitely have. It's, um, uh, I mean, so just deconstructed like this, I'm coming over as being very negative about it, but I yeah. did enjoy... Quite a lot of the films still, especially even British bits, uh, yes. sort of letting it wash over me. So if, if, it's just if you start to think about it, it becomes yeah. more so than any of the others. I mean, uh, I mean, I like Revenge of the Fallen more than most people do. I think uh, I think that has the best action scene in any of the films in that forest fight. Uh, yeah, and I think that's a genuinely great piece of cinema. Uh, it's got a lot of problems with that film as well, but I think it, it, it's uh, better what people say. Yeah, uh, and, I certainly... and do you know what? I'm going to be even more controversial. I am going to be the most controversial person on the planet. I enjoyed the scrotum joke. I thought it was clever yes, because I they mean, were wrecking is... balls. That yeah. is clever. He was under the enemy's balls. He should have said under the enemy's balls to make the line funnier. But this is John Turturro's character. He's already yeah, been but... established as being dirty old man. Just, it worked, damn it. He's exactly the character who would say that. I never had a problem with that. It's not a literal stroke term. He's just, it's a silly visual gag. Yeah. And it lasts about three seconds. And, you know, it's it's true to him. I mean, I love Simmons in that one as well, all that. Mm -hmm. uh, The only thing that makes that comedy, that film's funny black guy, uh, he's also a white guy, uh, Mm. a roommate bloke whose name I can't remember. Leo. Uh, Leo, burned God, into my a, brain. You're such a fangirl. It's burned uh, into my brain. Well, the only thing that makes that character worthwhile is the uh, one man alone. Yes. I feel with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, man. Agent Smith's awesome. I mean, I, I don't flat that much. Honestly, I, no, I, I do. Compared to most people, I think they're a bit yeah. rubbish, but I, I can't get angry about them because they're so generally irrelevant to the film. I wish but, they kept the ice cream truck thing. They should have kept yeah. the ice cream truck thing because it was a film that had a gestalt in it with Devastator, so they could have been like the Autobot gestalt, you know, showing how unpowered the Autobot forces are. Oh, my are. God. They, they could have been back in this one going around the street to London. They, they could did. have been, yeah. But they didn't. Wasted opportunity. Oh, this film's where I know one who's ever been to Britain. <laughs> Uh, no, excuse me. We all sit around in posh living rooms looking at sex dungeons in newspapers. That is like peak British pastime, guys. It is, you know, it's, we, we like hearing our relatives have noisy sex upstairs in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> it's community <laughs> building. It's, it wasn't even her house, was it? <laughs> it was her parents' house. Yeah, it was her, it was her mum's house. They were fine with her coming in home. Even though she usually has her own house, she can go have sex in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to go up and have sex in Dad's, my dead dad's study. Yeah. Whilst his photo looks down on me from the wall, judging. So yeah. we've got to make it as noisy as possible because that's what he would want. That, that is what Rebecca Front is thinking is happening <laughs> in that scene. She's fine with it. <laughs> but, but, uh, I mean, it's a very odd ending as well with, uh, yes. oh, Quintessa isn't there. She now just looks exactly like the robot from humans instead she's a pretender now get it because she's a robot who looks like a person 
Ha-ha! <laughs> and uh, there's a fantastic little surprise of a big ball she goes up to. And, oh, yeah, you, you know about Unicorn, do you? That's great. Yeah, you tell us how to kill Unicorn, because we don't actually know what you, the name Unicorn. None of us have heard it no, outside like, of our team on this prime. You've got to contextualise yourself a bit better. Yeah, we now have no chat. information on him either, because Anthony Hopkins ripped the page out of the book and presumably still had it on him when he died and has probably been buried with it. So we have nothing to tell us what Unicron is. Optimus Prime could fill him in. Optimus Prime forgot that he destroyed Cybertron between Dark of the Moon and, and The Last Night. The chances of him remembering what Unicron is is very slim. I, I, I just love that at the end of the last film we had to fly off into space to find out who these creators were. And then it turns out Megatron knew all along. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quintessa, there she, there she is, old Quintessa. That's my pal. I remember Quintessa Prime. Like, seriously, do you get hit on the head a lot? Because you forget a lot of things. Like in the first film when you forgot that Jazz died because you just never mention him. Or in Dark of the Moon when Ironhide, your oldest friend, dies and you never mention him again. Like, I think, I think Optimus Prime has that thing where you fall asleep, like in Memento, you know, where you fall asleep and the next day he doesn't remember anything that's happened before. Maybe he has that. And they've just, like, he stops keeping a diary because it's pointless. But every day is the same for him, is it? Fight, fight, die. Yeah, die. Back, fight, turn evil. Yep, yep. Betray your species by accident. Betray someone else's species by accident. Uh, I think that... That's the big thing this film was missing, actually, a decent villain, because uh, mm. Lockdown was great in the last one. Yes, and, he was well, What fantastic. I liked about Lockdown as well was he, you had sort of two sets of villains, him and, and Fraser, mm. and they don't betray each other. No, they, they don't. They work quite happily. You know, he keeps his end of a deal. If Optimus Prime hadn't escaped from Lockdown's ship, mm. Lockdown would have flown off quite happily, never to be seen again. So really, the destruction of Hong Kong was Optimus Prime's fault, there, for bringing him <laughs> back to Earth. <laughs> He's such. He's got so much blame on his shoulders, really. Yeah, bless him. It's a shame because uh, I, I do like Movie Prime for all of his uh, shortcomings. Uh, but... a, a Sentinel Prime is a good villain as well. Sentinel uh, Prime is an amazing villain. Uh, yeah. To the point, there were so many people that I felt came out saying, oh, "Yeah, Sentinel Prime had a point. He was doing the right thing with his plan to enslave humanity." <laughs> Oh, well, he's a good man. It was wrong for Optimus Prime to oppose him. Yeah, man, at least he had a strategy. Optimus. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that, they needed somebody like that. Somebody, uh, which Quintessa, well, she was only in the film about two minutes anyway. And, um, yeah, and a lot of those done. appearances were, um, like, watching it again, it was just the same face flipped several times. She pulls the exact same expression, which means they didn't even create that much of her. So they knew, obviously, she wasn't going to be in the film that much. Yet they placed so much importance on a character that ultimately was pointless. They could have made Cybertron like it just appeared in the sky because it was working under its own logic. Yeah. You know, she might as well not have been there. It, it would have made any difference if they knew. I mean, I like that they didn't go down the Primus Unicorn route. They tried to do something a bit different, but it's they might as well say it's a bit, like I said, a bit the god in the middle of Cybertron's doing this, and you don't need to see him either. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's all very, very strange. I mean, mm. I don't, maybe they were thinking, oh, my Transformers 6 will pick me up. But uh, whether they will now is a bit more mysterious. But well, again, I suppose it, it, did, it did less well than the last few. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was a disaster, but it was it just did okay. So maybe they're not going to completely reinvent things of the next one, but it might be <sighs> that, an idea. I but hope I, they do. I suppose that brings us to what, what, what would we like to see from uh, the, the next couple of films? Uh, what, what do you think 
could be learned from uh, the last night. I don't think, like, being cynical or whatever, I don't think they will change the formula up too much. I think it's time for Bay to go. You know, as someone who... He successfully brought me into the franchise and has kept me interested the last 10 years. I think for all the hate and the crap he gets, he is responsible, or at least, you know, partly responsible for a renaissance in Transformers. I mean, when when that film came out in 2007, Transformers was not dead in the water, but it was almost there. You know, and since then we've had toy line after toy line partially funded by the movie's income we've had transformers animated transformers prime transformers robot in, in disguise on the telly with rescue bots we've we've seen something come back from the brink and he is to thank for that just as much as russell t davis was to thank bringing doctor who back even if people are divided in opinion so i'm grateful to him for all he's done but after 10 years you do have to change direction you do have to get something fresh in that being said I don't think we can expect to see anything much different. I think they've hit on a formula and there will always be a need for human characters. Hasbro will never go the route. You know, as much as I would love to see more than meets the eye adapted into a thing or even the G1 cartoon as it was adapted, we are not going to see that. And it's unrealistic to expect seeing that, you know, because to sustain that sort of thing, you need long form storytelling. And a film is an isolated one and a half hours to two hours production. Or two and a half. Or two and a half. Yeah. Um, Hasbro are going to want a recognisable human actor to front. They are going to want a core cast of Autobots they can then create as toys and a core cast of Decepticons. So... Honestly, if they do reboot the next movie, I'm expecting to see... Well, the Bumblebee movie. I'm expecting to see Lona, Outcast, Adult or Child. I'm not quite sure who they're directing against. Finds old car. Car turns out to be Amazing Robot from Space. They have an adventure to save a MacGuffin. There are some jokes about the 80s because Stranger Things is popular. That's all I'm expecting. And I think at this stage, it's all we can expect from the movies. Is it right that that's what we expect? Probably not. No. I'm, I'm fine with that. Honestly, I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, I would like to see more. You know, the IDW comics have proven, Transformers Animated has proven, Transformers Prime has proven, and in, even to a certain extent, the R.I.D. casting has proven you can do a lot with Transformers. You can turn them back as a lens on society. You can look at things like functionalist councils, etc. It's interesting. There's depth there. But when you're talking about a two-hour blockbuster movie that's got to compete with the cinematic Marvel universe, it's got to compete with the DC efforts, it's got to compete with Fast and the Furious and things like that, Star Wars, it's got to compete with freaking Star Wars. They're going to want something that's easy to market, easy to understand to a mass audience who are going to be bought into it for the first time, just as I was bought into it for the first time in 2007. And if they do anything too wacky, it's not going to work. So I would like to see a new director. I would like to see someone like, um, oh God, I can't remember his name. The director of Thor Ragnarok, because he was handed what could have been a disaster. You know, this weird colonialism style story with strange aliens and gladiators and stuff like that. And he made it work and he made the characters work and he made the CGI work. So someone like that would be incredible. Realistically, I'm expecting another Michael Bay. Um, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. Michaela Bards will do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michaela Baines will be directing Transformers. I, you know, I'd be happy having Mika uh, having her back, uh, Megan Fox, because I think she gets unfairly shit upon. She is a good actress, just as Kirsten Stewart is a good actress. You know, having a poor choice in films does not negate acting ability. So 
in a nutshell because I'm ranting too much. I'm expecting to see more of the same. I hope they learn. I hope they change the designs just because it's been 10 years. We need a fresh start. We need a fresh new style. We need a fresh direction, but I'm not expecting to see anything too different. I'm trying to be realistic. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think I would agree with you. I, I think I defend Michael Bay a lot more than many fans do. As I get into his personal behaviour too much. Mm. Uh, come on, this year, I'm washing my car. Yeah, um, that's, all that he's a speedy guy. Yeah. As a director, I think he did bring the franchise into the, the noughties, as, as the cool kids call it, mm. and uh, updated it successfully. And I think this film suffered probably from being bored and burnt out. I mean, I think he only did the mm. last one because... Uh, he got that uh, Dwayne Johnson film funded off the back of this. Yes. And this time, it wasn't even that incentive. It just felt like, well, they, they want me to do it. They've got no other ideas. I like and to it, think that he went on TFW and saw, like, all the celebratory posts of him leaving. was like, no, fuck you guys. I'm coming back. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> I, I think somebody, the, the next proper film, the Bumblebee film, I think is going to be like uh, Force Awakens in that it is going to be a, yes. hey, this is a restatement of what everybody likes. I mean, mm. the fans have annoyed me a bit because there'll be people have been waiting for uh, one of these films to not do so well at the box office. Yes. We're rubbing their hands together. And I, I saw somebody go, oh, this proves people have finally woken up to the fact they never like these films. And I think, well, that's like saying that the, the failure of the 1986 film proves that mm. nobody ever read or realised they never really liked Transformers or the failure of Star Trek V proves that nobody <laughs> ever really liked Star Trek That uh, well, always makes me laugh because the Transformers yeah. fans point to the 86 movie and say we want a film like that and you're like oh you want a film that fundamentally broke the franchise because season 3 never recovered even when they bought back Optimus Prime you want a film that looked visually gorgeous but actually was basically just Star Wars as a cartoon and you want a film that really poorly performed and killed any future films. That's what you want? Really? Do you now? Really? Oh, yeah. They're all like, oh, now we're going to listen and do it properly. But I, what I would like is for somebody to do what Michael Bay did 10 years ago and mm -hmm. bring it into, a, into one of either 20s yes. by the time the next one comes out. Yeah. Oh, dear God. Oh, God. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I also think this sort of this style of superhero because it is basically superhero films, yeah. really. Uh, meets Godzilla. This style of superhero film is starting to feel a bit tired now. It, I think it's, uh, it feels like it's been done so much, it's hard to get that excited by it. Unless somebody... I mean, I've not seen four Ragnarok yet, but I gather that is trying to do something different very successfully. Yeah. Uh, even Batman v Superman trying to be a bit different. I gather it wasn't that successful, and Justice League's attempts to to fix it and make it more traditional haven't been that successful either but uh and wonder woman you know i i adored wonder woman but that was a very trope heavy uh, it was a very generic superhero movie but if you just give it something unique if you give it a twist of its own and make it your own you can end up making something incredible which for me is what happened with wonder woman it's a story i've seen a million times before but because they did it so well, I didn't mind. And I feel that's what the next reboot needs to be. Like you said, Force Awakens is an absolutely fantastic example because it was basically a new hope all over again for a new generation, but it's kick-started a new wave of Star Wars films. And that's what we need. Yeah, I, I think probably film will just be the first Michael Bay film, but set it in the 80s. <laughs> Straightforward redoing of that is a... Hey, this is back to basics. And I think it's very likely what will happen is Paramount after that will adopt, uh, will go back to what people will play completely safe, will yeah. pay 
Shia LaBeouf and Mega Fox, a big lump of money to come back. Uh, we'll do Revenge of the Fallen 2 or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's a start we'll go for. That, we'll destroy the other pyramid. We'll, we'll take no risks whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, I, I would be a little, I would understand that. I'd be a little disappointed with that. I would imagine the fans would be so angry. It would be hilarious. That's very <laughs> true. Oh, jeez. I don't even go on the forums anymore. Bring both back. Wearing his brown bag on his head and going, do it. <laughs> Uh, probably, I think he's got a bit eccentric, Sheila Booth. So they probably I have think to. He has. Use, they yeah. have to use memes of Sheila Booth. <laughs> <laughs> just anybody. Every time they cut to him, it's just him against a green screen screaming, "Do it!" <laughs> yeah. Right, so mean, should we go rescue Optimus Prime, uh, Sam? Do it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we do live in kind of we do live in a sad world where taking a risk is now frowned upon because if you film. You know, if it's a hundred million dollars to film your film, taking risks is a bad idea. There are some brave directors out there who are doing it and they're doing it well. And I think that's great. But we are living in an age where cinema is dying. It's losing out to big cinematic television shows like Game of Thrones. It's it's losing out to people just waiting for the films to come on DVD because they know they're going to get the full cut and not what was actually done for the cinema, like with Batman vs Superman, for example. It's losing out to services like Netflix because people who can't afford £12 to go and see a film at the cinema will just wait for it to come on the streaming service. So in a way, I can understand companies not wanting to take risks because one bad risk could sink your studio. I mean, Sony Animation is in trouble or it is closing down the last I heard of it because they, you know, they did some things they thought would be popular and they weren't. Oh, well, you know, that's the way it goes. But I can't imagine a company like Hasbro taking an extreme risk because as well, I think fans have to remember the films aren't necessarily for us you know it's nice when they throw us a bone every now and again but we seem to have this kind of sense of entitlement about us that because we've been buying transformers toys for so long because we buy the comics because we watch the tv shows we should be the target audience but we're not these films are targeting people who wouldn't necessarily have engaged with the transformers franchise in any other way and if that means that we get a few extra dollars into the franchise kitty because people have gone out and bought themselves a movie bumblebee because they liked what was on the screen then that's a good thing you know and if, you, oh, if yeah. by now the films aren't your cup of tea, really, you should just stop watching them because you're just hurting yourself, you know? I mean, what can never be understated is how these films have turned Optimus Prime and Bumblebee into mm. household names, cinematic icons. Yeah. I think that's one of the areas this film suffered. I felt like they were trying out for this idea of an expanded cinematic universe mm. by doing one that barely had Optimus Prime in it to see how that went down. Yes. And the fact they almost immediately after it came out said, don't worry, Optimus Prime is in a Bumblebee film. And that suggests how well it went down. Like, oh, yeah. People like Optimus Prime quite a lot. And yeah. They don't like it when he's not in the film. We should have learned that, that last that 86 film we did where we killed him. Where we killed him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway from the films is the films are not for us. You know, it's like when people say, oh, they've made this, they've made an all-female Ghostbusters reboot. It's like, well, if you don't like the idea of that, then the film isn't for you. You know, you've got to stop expecting everything on the planet to cater to your exact list of needs. You know, if you want 
good story building in a Transformers franchise, read the comics, watch Transformers Animated, which had one of the best storylines in Transformers history. Go back and watch the G1 cartoon. It's still there for you to enjoy. You don't always need to be consuming new media if what you enjoy is the old media. And just accept that the films are there to keep Hasbro a household name so that when relatives are buying their kids' presents, they know that the red one is Optimus Prime and the yellow one is Bumblebee, even if they accidentally buy a Titans Returns figure. Oh, well, at least they bought something. At the end of the day, Hasbro is a company that wants to make money making toys and fiction that supports the toys. And that's what they're doing. Yep, that's uh, it's, uh, just the impact generally. I mean, my people, people i know watch these films real yeah. people not the online people they, I bet, <laughs> um, people complain about the plots of that you know this is not a f- we, we really constructed it on a podcast like this yeah we yeah. do it for fun but if you're a general audience member you don't really care about the plot of transformers you're not no. going to go see it again i hope this has a linear sensible narrative you want the, the fight scenes and the jokes yeah the, you want the, the bits that the were in the trailer. characters you can fancy or whatever <laughs> Um, Simmons, oh, ass. Oh, yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and all it's all that stuff. Yeah, you, know, you want it to uh, be big, widescreen. If you want an experience, of, yeah. Uh, it, it, it would be nice if they had a good, strong narrative as well. Yeah, they didn't skip around that. But a lot of films do get by by just going, "Hey, you know, it's nuts stuff is happening here." Yes. And that's uh, what people go to the cinema for. I, I think what I would particularly like uh, from for future films, um, as I alluded to earlier, is more female Transformers because that is the big area in the lacking behind compared to everything else. Yeah, I mean, the the creation of Windblade has been uh, divisive, shall I say? Shall I use that word? Yes, let's use the word divisive. It's been divisive, but she is now in the comics. She is now in the TV show and sales don't seem to have suffered on that front. And, you know you could appeal to the other 50% of the planet, which has been Transformers fans since the 80s. You know, women can look up to male characters and men can look up to female characters. But when you're talking about representation and things like that, it's important to have a blend. It's important to reflect reality. You've established that gender exists in the Transformers universe, you know, through the use of gendered pronouns, through having female coded characters in the comics. They even had female characters in Revenge of the Fallen. It's been established. It's not a new thing and it's not crowbarring. It's just good world building. So, yeah, if we could have at least one, if we could have Strongarm, she would be great. You know, this tough cop car kind of persona. That would be fantastic in a future movie. I'm just picturing them having a female character called Crowbar now. Just for <laughs> <laughs> those fans who feel they can make that complaint ready. That joke is there. <laughs> oh my god, the memes, all the lazy memes. Ah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if, if that feels like it's just, uh, especially when the films generally, because they're made by people who are diehard fans, mm. tend to think a bit outside the box when it comes to the Transformers. You know, no fan would have done a film with Lockdown as a villain. No. They'd be like, oh, that's not G1. Well, obviously, people do make up here. Hey, that's a cool character. Let's stick him in there, or the Fallen, or hey, Decepticon Radio and King Arthur's Court. That's fucking <laughs> awesome, man. Let's just do that for the first half hour. I will say, I am very upset that The Last Night did not feature any scenes of people jousting on the backs of jets. I mean, that was disappointing. Zero that's... out of ten, literally unwatchable. Well, there you go. That's, that is your. That's, I think, a review to end on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Zero out of ten. <laughs> uh, Michael Bay would be like, damn it, I'm going to have to come back from six one now. So. 
I'm yeah. going to keep doing them until I do what my fans like. That's that's all I care about my fans. But then I would just have that, you know, like epitaphed onto my tombstone and I will uh, fake my own death. <laughs> I do think Marky Mark was basically an avatar for, for Michael Bay in this one because he looked yeah. as bored as buggery throughout the entire film. And when oh, he was gotcha. on water promoting the film... He didn't seem very interested in it. It's almost like he'd forgotten that he'd done it. And your Graham Norton's like, and you've been in this film. And Mark's like, shit, I was in that film. What happened? I don't even remember. There was lots of green screening and shouting and... Wow. <laughs> well, in a strip dress, that's, that's what I remember. That was my favourite bit. <laughs> uh, I think he was on it again last night to promote Daddy's Home too, and he looked more excited about that. <laughs> I think that sums up his career in a nutshell, but yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, John Nifko was sat next to Mel Gibson on the couch and I was like, oh, come on, John Nifko. Don't sit him next to Mel Don't Gibson. Don't sit next He's suffered enough having to do the film with him. <laughs> oh, dear. So on that exciting uh, note, I wouldn't want to be Mel Gibson in the morning when he listens to this. I tell you, he'll be upset. <laughs> uh, Becca, would you, would you like to share your Twitter handle and anything that you have done lately that you might like people to uh, to look at? Uh, yeah, the, my Twitter handle is pretty much the only place I can be found online at the moment. Uh, it's at Tane Kirahi, and that's Tango, Alpha, India, November, Kilo, India, Romeo, Romeo, Alpha, Hotel, Echo. No, you work in a call centre. Um, you can find me there. I basically sometimes live tweet G1 episodes. I mostly just take pictures of toys with funny captions or what I think are funny captions. I recently did a photo shoot of uh, Masterpiece Megatron looking very sexy that seems to have gone down very well. Lots of Megatron sexual people out there. Keep up the good work. Um, so if you want to come and give me a follow, I'd be more than happy to follow you back. And hopefully if you're thinking of coming to TF Nation next year, I know we're way in advance, but I will be there. So if you want to come say hi, do because I'd love to say hi to you. Yeah, and Becca is an, actually a ninja, because uh, as, I, as I talked about on our TF Nation episode, I think uh, I meant to be to a station, and somehow she got behind me, even though that was actually possible for her to have done. It was you, Matt, and Siegfried, wasn't it? And I somehow <laughs> yeah. teleported in front of you guys. We, and... we were in front of the ticket barriers, and you could not have got past us. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, I did. <laughs> so watch out for her. She'll sneak up on you. And God knows what she'll, she'll make you uh, have a conversation about Agent Simmons. <laughs> Whether you want one or not. She will give you a free Transformers The Last Night Cogman and run off cackling into the mists. Oh, I'll take that. I still can't find one. Oh, dang. Anyway, and uh, I, folk, I am still at Infatable Dalek. I am still looking at a British Transformers comic every week on uh, Transformation. Just done the last original British story, so it's all just American reprints from now on. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom and Mario Duart here, of course. Uh, that's at Tarot McDally and at Mort. Uh, so uh, follow them and tell them how much you liked the last night and how, uh, how they should have done this episode and said how much <laughs> they loved it as well. I, I think they missed out on a good time, don't you, Becca? They could have had a lot of fun here. Oh, yeah. They could have learned a lot. I'm only going to podcast with you in future. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you need someone to just rant about absolutely nothing, then go for it. <laughs> hey. No, oh, well, we've got that covered, actually. It's, uh... <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll follow the news to you with some boys, anyway. <laughs> on on that enthusiastic note, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everyone. Have fun.
Are you, are you not going to say goodbye, Becca? Or? Oh, sorry. I thought that was no, like the outro. To... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say goodbye? Oh, I don't cool. know. <laughs> you are the, uh, the Marky Mark to Marion and Tom's Sheila Booth. Oh, God. I'm going to go and jump off something. <laughs> <laughs>